So if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Philippians chapter 4. We'll be looking at a very, very familiar text in verses 6 and 7. And I may also be jumping back and looking at something um, in the Gospels if we have time. It can ambush you when you wake up in the morning. It can intimidate you and hound you all day long. Distract you from your responsibilities and your relationships. Consume your energy. Keep you from sleeping. And disturb you in the middle of the night. It's worry. And it's something that we're all familiar with, aren't we? Um, and I don't know what it is for you. There's a lot to worry about, isn't there? Because at the end of the day, <laughs> life is filled with uncertainties that I can't control, that I wish I could. Perhaps it's what's going on in the economic or political world in which we live. Perhaps it's a relationship with a family member, a friend, a coworker, an employee, employer, I don't know. Perhaps it's a fear over someone or something and something that could possibly happen. Perhaps it's health-related. Let me just read to you, to you a, a couple possibilities. And there's a myriad. If we went around, we'd come up with a whole bunch of them. What if I don't make the team? What if I forget my lines in the play? What if someone else gets picked for that committee? What if? What if? What if? Will I ever find a husband or wife? If I do, will he or she be faithful to me? Am I worth marrying? Will I be able to have kids? If I have kids, how will they turn out? What about my health? Some of my friends are dying of cancer. It's painful to watch. Is that going to be me? Will I be able to have strength to go through it? What if I get Alzheimer's? The thought of ending my life, not even able to recognize people I love. Like, what about that? And folks, couldn't we just go on and on and on with lists? I mean, th this is just a smattering. Because life is uncertain. And we can't control it. Now, what I want to do before we look at the passage, because I think this is important. I, I want to distinguish for you two concepts that I think sometimes we confuse. At least I do. Maybe you don't, but I do. The word, when it says here in verse 6 of chapter 4 of Philippians, be anxious for nothing or, or don't worry about anything, however you want to translate it. That word anxious, that word sometimes translated worry, is often translated by Paul as the word concern. Matter of fact, it occurs one other time in the book of Philippians. And it just means concern. He says, I'm going to send Epaphroditus to you because he will be concerned for you in a good godly way. It's the same word. He will be, we well, don't translate it, worried there. But he's going to focus on that in a way that's constructive and beneficial. Over in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about being married. And he says, you know, if you're married, you legitimately are concerned about your wife or your husband, or your kids. It's part of life. It's the same word. And it's not sinful, is it, at that point? There's nothing wrong. The word concern, there's nothing wrong about being concerned. Was Jesus concerned in the garden? 
I, I, I wouldn't say he was worried, but I would say he was deeply concerned. So concern is part of the fabric of life. Things come into our life, we have concern, and God will often use that concern to motivate us to move toward those individuals or those situations in a constructive way. That's good. That's life. The problem is, for Paul, legitimate concern can slip over into worry. And, and sometimes we're not always sure when we, we've gone from one to the other. Isn't that true? I mean, there's just kind of shadowy interim. But we know when we're over here, when we're no longer under the umbrella of God's trust, of trusting in God. And we know we're over here when we're obsessing about this thing in such a way that's destructive to our relationships in our life. And, and we know when we're over here when we're, we become debilitated and distracted from living the life that God has designed for us. So we certainly know when we get way over here. Sometimes we're not always sure when we're kind of moving from legitimate concern to worry. And Paul recognizes it's part of life. Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 11, as he's gone through so many difficulties, he has legitimate concerns for, for the churches. It's just, it's life. And what I want you to recognize is concern is not wrong. Concern is part of life. It's when it slips into worry that we, be, that we, we, we have problems. Make sense? So in this passage, Paul is talking about what we would call worry, not merely concern. And what I want you to notice is this text tells us how to handle this kind of worry. What do we do about this? Because if you and I shift into neutral, we will all move from concern to worry just like that. Isn't that true? I mean, I don't know about you. I, and I know some personality styles are less given to it than others. My, my wife, nobody would ever call my wife a worry wart. She's just, I mean, she's just not that way. She's just, now, now, I'm wired in such a way that I can worry pretty easy if I'm not careful. Because I, you know, I want control and I want to try to figure out what's going on. I'm just a short story for what it's worth. Um, never forget when my youngest boy was about one years of age. He was young. And um, he had had a fever. And you know, when, 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 when a fever spikes real quickly, sometimes you can have uh, one of these epileptic, a fit or whatever they call it. I don't know what they call it. Seizure, seizure, there's the word. He never had one since, but he did have it at that point. And here I am, a new dad. And all of a sudden, my kid, I'm out because I was holding him. He's just kind of shaking everything else like this. And, you know, I'm saying like, Sherry, you know, you know call the fire people, whatever. Just get somebody, you know. And she, she calmly grabs a book and opens it up and looks up, you know, seizures. And, well, it says what you should do is turn them on their side. I don't remember what it all said. You know, so she's straight like, well, well, call somebody, do something. You know, I, and, and, and so God uses her in my life. There's no question about that. I mean, some of us are wired different ways than others, right? But I would say for most of us, it's very, very easy to slip from here to here. And in this passage, Paul wants to help us. How do we, how do we protect ourselves from this? And there's a whole other wonderful passage back in the Gospels if we get time. I'll watch the clock. If you're falling asleep or if it's getting late, I won't go to the other passage. But, but, but two passages, both of which say, don't be anxious. 
And he gives us ways to kind of handle it. The first one is found in this passage. And, it, and it's, it's, it's not rocket science. It's, it's quite easy. The first answer to worry is prayer. Notice what he says in the passage. He tells us what not to do before he tells us what to do. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, I have to tell you, at one level, I don't like that. And at another level, I really do like it. Because it doesn't give me any wiggle room. <laughs> you know, I mean, he says here, look, Doug, there is nothing in life that you get to live here on. Nothing. Don't be anxious about any situation at all. So the downside of it is bummer. I mean, there's like nothing. The upside about it is this, folks. God is concerned about everything in my life. Everything. So he says, I don't want you to be in this stance about anything. Yeah, but what if, no, not that either. How about, mm-mm. there's nothing you can come up with that God would say, oh yeah, I guess you can on that one. Be anxious about nothing. So what are we supposed to do? But in every situation, I like how the NIV translates this. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So don't be anxious about anything. But now what I want you to do in every situation of life, I want to tell you how you should handle it. I want you to take that concern. And before it slips over there to worry, I want you to take that concern to a God who is for you. He's not against you. And whatever he chooses, it'll be okay. But isn't it interesting to you what he says should be part of our prayer? Okay, okay, here's my concern. I don't want to slip into worry. So I'm going to bring my request to God. And he says, I want you to do it by prayer and petition or supplication with thanksgiving. That's kind of a really interesting group of words all put together. Paul groups them together one other time in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And what he's saying here is this, and this is what's so fascinating to me. Because sometimes when I read this passage growing up, I don't know, I think I was taught it meant something like this. It's a sin to be concerned. And I don't think that's what this passage is saying. And I should be kind of happy-go-lucky in my life. You know, I mean, I don't know, what, I'm, do you, I don't know if you ever picked that up, but I kind of figured that this text meant, Doug, be happy-go-lucky. If you're not happy-go-lucky, there's something wrong. And that's not what this passage is saying, folks. He says, look, when you make your request to God, it is characterized by prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. That means when I go before God, I'm not just throwing up a quickie and then going on in life and everything's all right. It is prayer and petition. Those words are combined together to indicate to you that this is a passionate prayer. There is great, there is often turmoil involved. There is concern involved. And what he wants you to do is, when you have that concern, I want you to bring it to God, and I want you to petition him, and plead with him, and talk with him, and pray with him, and if you have to do it again, do it again, and if you have to do it again, do it again. But I want you to come, and with prayer and petition, I want you to come to God. But I want you to come to God with the attitude of thanksgiving. Because thanksgiving says... He hears me. 
Thanksgiving says he's God. He's sovereign. He's wise. He's gracious. He's loving. He's all of those things. It doesn't mean I get my request, does it? Bummer. (laughs) No, it doesn't mean that at all. The text doesn't say, make your request to God and he'll give you whatever you want. Sometimes I have to tell you, I like it if it would say that, but it doesn't. Because God's much more interested in doing something much deeper in my life. So I come to him with great passion and concern and honesty and openness. But as I come before him, I say, but God, I know you, you are the God who is for me. And so I thank you ahead of time for whatever you're going to do because you are for me. Do you see the difference? You know what it's like? If you flip back in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, what we typically call the lament Psalms, a whole series of psalms, when you begin to read them, you know, David comes before God and says, oh God, I feel betrayed and I feel pressured and I don't know what to do and I don't know if I want to live or die. And, uh, uh. and then in the midst of all that, he's saying, and yet God, I know you are here and I know you hear me and I know you are for me and I know you will answer this as you see fit. And I thank you, God, for who you are. But God, please help me because I'm really concerned. It's all that. And so in many ways, if you want to unpack, what does this prayer of Paul's in Philippians 4, this prayer he's talking about, what does it look like? Go back to the Psalms. Flip open those Psalms and begin reading them. That's the kind of thing. Because here, I guess, what, let me tell you what concerns me. I really get concerned sometimes, and I don't know what your experience is. It was my experience growing up. For whatever reason, and I'm sure the problem was mine, not the people that communicated to me, I kind of got this view of Christianity was a, that was a little bit unreal. It was kind of like, it was, it was a happy-go-lucky kind of Christianity. And the more I've read and studied the scriptures, the more I find out that's not the way the scripture frames it. Is it rich and meaningful and deep? And is it marked by joy? Yes. And sorrow and pain all at the same time? Yes, it's all true. Isn't that true? I mean, that's what Christianity is worth about. And so Paul is a realist and he says, look, I know life is filled with concerns. What I don't want you to do is to choose any of those concerns on the list and come over here and start worrying about it, become obsessed by it, forget me, become despondent and fearful, and a whole series of things. I don't want that. I want you to direct it to God. And when you come to God and speak to him, Speak from your soul. Be honest. Be open. Be true. Tell them your fears. Tell them your concerns. Tell them what you like, even though you might not get it. Tell them. But do it in such a way that you can be thankful because God is for you. And He does all things well. It doesn't make sense to us all the time, but He does all things well. So be anxious for nothing. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Okay? All right? And then what? He says, well, let me tell you what to expect. So what comes out of that experience? A real life lived out lament psalm if you will, prayer to God. Look at verse 7. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know one of the things I was thinking about, and then I'll comment on this. Is it wrong for you and I to take our concerns to other people? Is that wrong? Absolutely not. It is so much a part of Christianity. It is the means that God uses so often to communicate his grace and mercy. But what we want to be careful of is that never becomes a replacement for going to God directly. Right? Do you see? So it's wonderful. Share your needs. We're called to bear one another's burdens and to rejoice with one another and weep for one another. It's life. I'm all for it. But it all has to be framed in the context of prayer to God. Do you see? So you want to keep all that together. So the promise he gives us here is the peace of God, which nobody can comprehend, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, when you think of a guard, Guards in our day tend to do one of two things, as they did in antiquity. They either keep something in that needs to be kept in, right? Bad guys in a jail, right? They guard, they keep the bad in, or they keep the bad out. Because you'll have guards around a palace. And in their case, they're not trying to do anything. They just want to protect what is in from what is without, other times, a guard tries to protect what is without from what, what is within. This particular passage is about protecting what is within from that which is without. And God says, what I want to do, I want to take your hearts and your minds. That's just code for Paul to say, that's everything inside your soul. Well, what about my emotions? It's there. What about my intellect, my, what I think about? It's there. What about what I want? It's, it's everything. I want to take your inner person, who you are, your heart, your mind, everything about you. And what I want to do, God says, is I want to set up a guard around all that. So, so worry. Yeah, you're going to have concerns. It's part of life. But I don't want a debilitating, inappropriate kind of worry to break through the ranks and in any way to hurt what is inside, which is your hearts and your minds. So God says, the guard that I've set up around your heart and your mind is my peace. And this peace is one that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to people often. How much you known that in your life from time to time? I mean, we wish we'd all experience it a little bit more often, true. But there, there are times in my life when, when I felt myself slipping into despondency. And I didn't know if I was going to be able to keep control. And I didn't know what the whole thing meant. And I felt like fear was just overwhelming me. I took it to God. It doesn't only happen in one prayer, maybe a series of days and weeks. You know how that works. But I found in that moment that he sets up a guard around me. And I can't even describe it. Because people will say, well, did your circumstances change? Not a bit. You still have the same problem. Yeah, actually it got a little bit worse. 
And so I know this doesn't make sense to you because it's beyond understanding. But I just have this sense that all is well because God is there. You know that song we love to sing, It Is Well With My Soul. Humanly speaking, it makes no sense that Spafford could, be, could have his family killed on a ship that's going across the sea. He gets this terrible news and he loves them deeply and he can write that song? The back end of that event? That's beyond any understanding. Folks, that's illogical. No, it's supra-logical. It's beyond our logic. Because he understood God steps in and says, Doug, you can't understand it, but I am here protecting you and watching you and guarding you and you can rest in me. You don't have to understand me, but you do need to know I'm for you. You do need to know I love you. And you need to recognize that at the end of the day, it is all well. And we have all at times in our life, brothers and sisters, had God step in without ever changing the circumstances, he changes us. And he gives us this sense of his love and his presence and his purpose in our life. And we can't figure it out. And if you try to explain to somebody who doesn't know Jesus, they say, yeah, but your situation doesn't change. Yeah, I know, I know. But it's well with my soul. See, that's what Paul's talking about. To keep, to guard everything in our core, in our soul, from those things that are without that would hurt our faith walk with Christ. To guard your hearts and minds, it says, in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to notice something in the text, because I think it's really important. For just a second, I want you to go back to chapter 4, verse 1. And, and I want you to notice a couple things here. Paul starts out by saying, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, so, so stand firm, what's it say? In the Lord. He talks in verse 2, there's obviously two women that are having some issues there in the Philippian church. We don't know exactly what it is. I urge these two women to live in harmony. What's it say in verse 2? In the Lord. And he's going to go on in verse 4 to say, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. And you're going to get down to verse, um, verse, eight, uh, verse 8 and verse 9, and he's going to raise these issues again. And here's the point that I think is really, really important. I want you to think about this. This text assumes that what's most important to you is Jesus. Think about it. Suppose the most important thing in my life is that I would have the accolades of others. The respect of others. Whatever. Whatever it is. If that's the most important thing in my life, and I worry about it because that's all that really matters, and I don't get it, my life is crushed, isn't it? Do you see? But what if, on the other hand, like this text says, at the very core of my soul is Jesus? I rejoice in him. I stand firm in him. 
I live in harmony because of him. It's him, 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 him. It's Jesus at the very core. It's all about Jesus. Does my life still have concerns? Do I wonder, worry about how people treat me? Do I worry? Yeah, yeah, worry about, I mean, we, we, we were concerned about all kinds of things. It's part of life. But that is not the core, folks. Jesus is the core. And this text says, look, for people whom Jesus is at the very center. And sometimes I know he wanders out because other things wander in and we have to repent and and reaffirm what's most important. But when Jesus is central and a concern comes and I take it to him with honesty and openness and passion and yet a sense that God does all things well. He will guard me with his peace so that at the very core of my heart I continue to walk with the one whom I love. And that's what this passage is telling us. And it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter. This text talks about every situation and calls us to pray. I was, um, my wife and I were talking coming up on the, in the car. I was going to say in the train. We've never taken the train up here before. <laughs> I used to take the train to school all the time, so I guess it's flashback, but whatever. Um, and I, too, watch the Olympics. I, you know, we don't watch a lot of TV, but when the Olympics come, man, we watch the TV till midnight. My, my wife watches it faithfully to midnight. I go to bed a little bit earlier sometimes, but I love the Olympics. But, I, but there's two kind of images that, that strike me as interesting from the Olympics. The, the, the one image, and, and my, my heart broke for this dear woman. And I don't remember what she was running. She was running in one of the track, and somebody tripped her. I don't know if you saw it. And she fell down on the ground, and she just beat the macadam again. And, he, and I thought, oh, that poor woman. And I don't know her soul, and I don't, maybe she's even a believer. Who knows? Who knows? But at least the image I got about her was her life. It looks like her life is over. She's given all her life for that moment and she was tripped up. Now what's she do? Maybe tries for another four years. I don't know. But that was my one image. That's never the way to live, is it? Where all my eggs are in that basket. On the other hand, and I, I, I don't remember if it's the guy that won or one of the other Americans that got into the final for the diving. One of, the, one of the guys that got into the mine, I think he may have been the guy that got the gold. I, I went to bed and I didn't see it last night, so I'm not sure. But in the preliminaries, he almost didn't get in. He barely made it in. It was like number 18. And somebody went up to him and said, so they ask the dumbest question sometimes, don't they? Like, so how do you feel about just barely getting in? Oh, I feel great. You know, I, mean, I mean, you know, what's the guy going to say? You know, like, <laughs> you know, some guy just, just wins. So how do you feel? What were you thinking as you crossed the line? Oh, um, what am I going to have for supper tonight? No, I was happy. I don't know. What do you think? What was I thinking? Whatever. But anyway, they asked this guy, so how do you feel about merely merely getting into the, the diving thing? And he said, God is sovereign. And if he puts me in, he put me in. And if he didn't, it's okay. That's the difference between a Christian and an unsaved person, isn't it? The one person their entire life is bound up in that. 
The other person their entire life is bound up in Christ. They have other concerns. They have life that troubles them. And all that's true. But at the core is Christ. And so when those issues come, they direct them to God. And whatever happens, happens because God is there. I don't know about you. But I like the story of that diver more than that of the runner. And that's the way God wants all of us as believers to live. You know, I'm not going to go to it because my time's up. But that passage over in the Gospels, a wonderful passage, because I can go another 20, 30 minutes and I, I, I won't. But that other passage, Luke chapter 12 and Matthew chapter 6, both talks about don't be anxious. And one of the things he says in Luke chapter 12 is he says, your life is more, and in that passage, is more than possessions. But you know what, believer? Take out the word possessions. Your life is more than whatever you worry about. Do you know that? You fill in the blank. Your life is more than that. And that passage will go on to say, God is for you, he loves you, he values you, and he's giving you the kingdom, and he's given you himself, and he's given you the most important things in life. Your life is much more than anything you ever worry about. Because at the core, it's God. And on that one, Jesus and Paul are saying the exact same thing. So, I just want to encourage you today. There is nobody in here that doesn't struggle with worry. Sometimes. But God has a plan. And it's him. Never a promise to take away the circumstances. But always a promise to give us his presence and his peace. And when it's all said and done, that's far better. Lord, we thank you for your word.